Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermost, science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. So Robert. Yeah. Have you ever had the flu? Boy, have I ever had the flu. Um, Tell me about it. Tell us about it. Okay. Well, last year, uh, my wife and I came back from Thailand. A and, lovely trip. Yes. And uh, it was it was an amazing trip. And it's an amazing country. And uh, got back, you know, ready to get get back to work, you know, hop back in the, the seat and start writing some articles. I'm sure you were. I was. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, well, as it turns out, I was you not. You missed How Stuff Works, didn't you? Yeah, you yeah. thought about us constantly. Well, some of the time. Uh, I mean, I definitely, you know, it's like you can't go anywhere working here and not sort of piece together, you know, something, you know, science related for when you get back. But uh, but when I got back, I was growing steadily um, sicker. And so like the Monday that I was supposed to go back to work, I was instead and this was like in October in Atlanta. So it's it's still pretty warm out. Um, but I was just burning up, just like just completely. You're febrile. Yeah. Burn, yeah. And then suddenly I was freezing. And I would like, and I would like had to drive myself to the, the, to the doctor and, um, and, you know, wrapping myself up in, in, it was in, in like blankets in the car with the heater on, even though it was, you know, hot out. <laughs> oh, and at one point I was like laying on the couch and I was like just freezing with this flu going on and just kind of delirious. And I like wrapped up in the blanket and then the cat got on top of me. Oh, that's and great. And I was like, oh, that's great. You know, cause the cat is warm and I needed warmth like crazy to stay alive. And then the cat starts acting like she's going to vomit on me. And like, this that is, is not what you yeah, need. So when that you're feeling was, sick. that was the low point of my, um, my illness there. But then they, I don't know, they injected a lot of liquids into me and gave me some medicine. I got better and it wasn't bird flu, but it was horrible. Was it swine flu? No, it wasn't swine flu either. It was just some unknown Asian flu. Well, I'm glad you, uh, you stayed home with that, that yeah, illness for several days. Because there are a lot of people going around the office, as I'm sure they're going around yours or uh, your schools or what have you, sneezing and coughing up a storm like crazy. It's the gross. man in the corner office, I, I sent him an email, Gesundheit times 50, because I swear he must have sneezed like <laughs> in, innumerable times. Yeah, it's. Uh, I have so many um, uh, in interviews that I've recorded with people over the phone that have like different people coughing and sneezing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Um, the other funny thing is that Discovery sponsors a wellness fair in which you can get a flu shot here. So a bunch of us had our flu shots. I did get one. Okay, here's the thing. She missed my arm when she what? put the Band-Aid on. Oh, okay, but not the needle. No, no, no. Okay. She, the needle hit, the, the Band-Aid missed. So I bled on my shirt. Oh. I mean, co- she does this all day, but she misses the spot where she put the needle in. Huh. I feel like that's a job requirement. Wait, what color? You gotta have a little accuracy when it comes to the band-aid and the needle. Well, don't keep us in suspense. What color was the shirt? Uh, it was turquoise. It was like a nice, you know, pretty spring turquoise. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it'll come out though. Now blood spattered. Okay. Yeah, not blood spattered, really. <laughs> so, talking about all this flu led me to wonder, you know, we have taken measures, public health has taken measures against various diseases, stamping out disease. Why haven't they ever tried to eradicate influenza? Or have they tried to eradicate influenza? So before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about flu. I'm sure you guys know a lot of this, so chime in along with us. But flu is really just an infectious illness, right? Right. And it's caused by a particular virus, an influenza virus. 
and it's going to affect your respiratory system. Yeah, you posted a photo of the virus on, uh, or not a photo, but an image of the virus uh, on the Facebook. Right? Yeah, and the guy got it within the one guy. Yeah, yeah, you did <laughs> a guessing, a guessing contest. Who looked yeah. at it, got it within you know ten minutes or so. It looked kind of like an orange with a bunch of golf tees stuck in it. Yeah, that was not my impression at all. Yeah, golf balls do not. No golf tees. Oh, golf tees. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do look like golf tees. Yeah, little blue golf tees. I mean, blue and red. Image. Yeah. Wait, the blue ones I think were the uh neuraminidase. That is such a tricky word to say. And the the red were the the other. We'll we'll talk about these in a little bit. Okay. So symptoms. What are the symptoms? What are the symptoms of influenza? Uh, well, you kind of get a cough, you get a sore throat, runny nose. You get the achy brachies. Well, I hate now, the what achy brachies. What are the achy brachies? It's like muscle ache. But you know, if no, you... that's I, the only time I've ever heard achy brachy before this moment. You don't that, call him achy was... brachies? No, no, that is the only time I've ever heard that was in that song, achy brachy heart. <laughs> Like, I'm, I did not know that anyone else used that terminology for anything other than Billy Ray Cyrus's heart. I don't think he has a patent on that term, the achy brachies. So, like, so you're, if you have the achy brachies, that just means you have sore limbs and... You know, anything kind of feel like hurts and you're really sensitive uh-huh. and it doesn't feel good. It's muscle ache. Okay, muscle ache. Muscle, a, a, muscle ca- a more catchy way of saying muscle ache, I think. Okay. Yeah. You're tired, you're extremely fatigued, and sometimes, Headache. like Robert was, you, you get a fever. Yep. Maybe a little vomiting to throw in there, mix it up. And yeah, maybe some, some diarrhea too. But this, uh, these latter two are mostly in kids. Oh good. You know, cause kids are messy. Yeah. So why not give them the messy sickness? They're doing that too? stuff anyway, so it's right. just gonna tip the bucket on all that. Did I ever tell you about my Christmas last year? No, but now I'm a little frightened to hear. <laughs> With that kind of lead in, it's like kids are always vomiting and having diarrhea. Let me tell you about Christmas last year. Do tell. Yeah, well, it was kind of crazy because that was what happened. You know, you make big plans. Maybe you're going to go see your family, going to have a big meal, post presents. If you happen to celebrate Christmas or whatever other uh, holiday, perhaps mm-hmm. you celebrate around that time of year. Yeah, we had all sorts of big plans. And, you know, all of a sudden, boom, we had we had some vomiting. Multiple times. Oh. I mean, so the washer and the dryer were going all day, and then we had no backup plan. We obviously can't go to the house we're supposed to go to because who wants a vomiting kid at their Christmas dinner, and then they have kids and they get sick. So we wound up staying home, and we had no food. So we drive <laughs> around to one of the local farmer <laughs> farmers oh. markets that's supposed to be open 365 days a year. No, it is not open 365 oh. days a year. So, yeah. So the vomiting, yeah, definitely happens in kids. This is a very vomit-heavy uh podcast actually do you have a weak stomach no i think that maybe you do a little bit i hope uh, well a little bit but the vomit doesn't bother me as much but let's just i hope my friend uh, becky is not listening because she gets freaked out by this sorry becky yeah so how long how long are you out uh down for the count uh i was out for it was i felt rough for about a week yeah so a few days and it, it might be as long as two weeks wow but if you get some complications going on and, you know, you're going to get these in high risk groups and who are the high risk group people? Um, people like my parents, you know, people over 65, pregnant ladies, mm-hmm. people, kids, of course. Yeah. People with medical histories that have, you know, full stuff like heart disease, asthma, diabetes. They're going to get some complications going on that may eventually, uh, lead them to the hospital. You know, they may wind up with pneumonia. They may get sinus and ear infections, all sorts of stuff. You know, I just want to go ahead and mention real quick. Um, this is something, my mom's a kindergarten teacher, so she's always driving home to cover your mouth when you cough and sneeze. Yeah. So many adults do not do that. What, like, 
Can you name some people in our office? <laughs> I don't know about people in our office, but like every other person on the MARTA train in the morning, it's like, come know, on, dude, you're in an in, in, enclosed space. Didn't your kindergarten teacher ever tell you, cover your mouth and nose when you when you sneeze and cough because that's how you spread this stuff. You know, lately I'm kind of a fan of sneezing in the crook of my elbow. Yeah? Yeah. That's like when you get your Can hands I, full, filled up with well, stuff? Well, you know, or? if I don't have a tissue or something mm-hmm. at the ready, the crook of the elbow, it kind of contains it. And what do you really use the crook of your elbow for? You know, because otherwise, <laughs> yeah, your you don't hand... really use it in food preparation, do you? No. Not so much. Yeah. Not unless I'm preparing that special casserole. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I think the crook of the elbow is probably a good place for that to take place. It makes more sense in the hands, right? Indeed. So, how does it get around town? All those droplets that spring free, Ugh. <laughs> just floating in the air of the Marta car. Ugh. Yeah, and and you know the droplets spring free when someone's. Coughing, sneezing, or even talking. Yeah. So again, if you don't cover your your mouth and nose when you sneeze, think about that. Like every time somebody lets one go on the Marta, it just sprays. Like I think we've all seen the videos before where they um, they slow it down and they show just like how much volume like leaves the human face during a sneeze. I think it's I saw intense. something uh, to the count of about forty thousand droplets. Don't quote me on this, but I it was just insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just like a, a little drop. It's it's a lot of material being laid out there for the rest of the population. And even if you're not in the blast zone, I mean, that stuff ends up uh, landing on different surfaces. Like you know? the Marta Pole, yes. for example. On the Marta Pole or just, you know, on book. Like, apparently, like, libraries are pretty rough. Uh, yeah, they always come out with studies, I feel like, every week. You know, oh, we found this in the... Um, com- in the sample cosmetics at <laughs> X department store. <laughs> yeah, there are germs all over the place. Yeah. But I'm not really a germaphobe, are you? Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not, not in the sense that I actually have a hardcore phobia about it. I, it doesn't like keep me from, you know, you know, carrying on my life, but I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty aware of it, especially when I'm on Marta. You know, I look at a surface that a million hands have touched. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to touch that. I think I'll, in fact, what I'll try and do is wrap my el- my arm around it. So the crook of my elbow. Yeah, crook of the elbow, an amazingly handy place. The dirtiest place on the human body, apparently, just because <laughs> we're constantly sneezing into it and sticking it to the to public Marta poles. I remember once... Um, Bringing back a friend of mine when I lived in New York, uh, she, I think, had come in on the train and we're taking the subway somewhere mm-hmm. and she had a bag of pretzels and she was really hungry. <laughs> so I watched her open the bag of pretzels and, you know, you're sort of just frozen. I just watched her in this morbid fascination. She's grabbing the pole and then she's sticking her hand oh into my the God. pretzel bag. The- and I couldn't say anything except just kind of my mouth dropped open. I was like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Oh, well, that remind that's exactly, well, not exactly, but I, I saw a very similar case on Marta one day. Are you going to talk about the chicken? Yes. There was, I may have already, t- apologies, if, listener, if you've heard this before, but I saw a lady eating an entire rotisserie chicken on the, uh, on the Marta one day. It was like she'd eaten it down to just like the gray, you know, slivers, but she would like eat out of it with her fingers and then she would touch the pole and then she would go back to eating the, the chicken. It was, oh. Yeah, good times. Well, the other thing, uh, okay, let's get back to the sick people, the uh, people with the influenza virus. Yes, we've kind of gone off topic here. We have indeed, but that's okay. Feel free to write us with your crazy stories about traveling on public transportation and the things you've witnessed. But here's the thing. I mean, a sick person, we think of somebody, you know, coughing or sneezing or whatever, but you can be passing along, you can be shedding virus before you're showing symptoms. Hmm. 
So, and you can be shedding virus for as many as like five to seven days after. Okay. So, so it's tricky. So even if the, if somebody is it like follows all the rules and they start feeling sick, they stay home and then they come back to work after they're feeling better, they're still like, they still are likely infecting people along the way. Yeah. They could be, could be incubating, huh. hanging out. Yeah. So why does it occur in the winter? This is one that I feel like I have to just get out there. Virus digs the cold air. It's pretty much really huh. all there is to it. And I didn't think I had anything in common with the flu, but we both like the cooler weather. And the cold, dry air specifically. Uh, so the one big one that you guys know uh, is, is swine flu. H1N1. H1N1, indeed. And that was responsible for the first pandemic. And that just means, you know, an epidemic that covers a big old area. Yeah. Like the world, say, uh, that we've had in more than 40 years. And that's interesting, too, is when I was researching this, pandemics occur about every 40 years. So we just had one, although it wasn't so bad. It wasn't like, say, the pandemic of 1918, Ooh. in which half of the world's population was infected. Yeah, like, uh, what, 20 to 50 million people died in that thing. Yeah. That blows my mind. Half of the world's population was infected. I mean, that's just crazy. That is a pandemic of pandemics. That is a highly successful organism. Yeah, no doubt. So what are we talking when it comes to deaths, um, you know, in a normal year? Last year, with swine flu, there were about 12,000 U.S. deaths attributed to H1N1. But in a severe flu season, you're going to see as many as like 40,000 people uh, dying in the United States. And then take it to the global level and how many, what are the numbers there, Robert? Uh, between 250,000 and 500,000 deaths per year. Yeah. So that's, those are some pretty high numbers. So like even, yeah, even the normal numbers are pretty, pretty big. Like we just kind of. You know, they don't doesn't make the headlines necessarily unless it's a slow news week or, or it really starts uh, piling up. Yeah, a lot of us tend to dismiss the flu. You know, oh, you're, so what? I'm, I'm, I have a sick day. I can watch a little daytime TV. Mm-hmm. My partner dotes on me. What's the big deal? But it, it it is a darn big deal. So let's talk. I mean, so why don't we eradicate the flu? Why don't we get rid of this? I mean, if so many people are dying, and, and how would we do it? Yeah, like why, why don't we just come up with a vaccine, right? Well, so we have a vaccine, right? We, they've been around since, now what, 1945? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not as refined as they are now, but we've had them. And, and vaccine, in fact, would, our be, would probably be our best bet when it comes to uh, stamping out influenza. And it, they've certainly proven to be our best bets in stamping out other diseases, like smallpox. You guys all know that smallpox has been eradicated. Yeah, the last naturally occurring case of smallpox uh, was in Somalia in 1977, or according to the CDC. Yeah, in the States, uh, our last case of naturally occurring uh, smallpox was in 1949. So it's yeah. been decades so since now, we've seen yeah, smallpox. Yeah, to find it nowadays, you pretty much have to go to a laboratory and find like a stored sample of it. Yeah, so that's what eradication means. There's a pretty particular definition of it in the public health world, and that is no new cases in the world and no control measures are necessary. You don't have to vaccinate for it anymore. Yeah. Although after the 9-11 scare, they did do some vaccinations, right? I believe so, yeah, because there was there were some concerns there about uh, um, about its use as a bioweapon. Right, right, right. So eradication is kind of the ultimate level in what you're aiming for uh, as a public health professional. But you also hear them talk about a disease being eliminated, and what does that mean? Um, elimination mean, just means that you've decreased the number of cases to a you know very low level um, or a controlled level. Right. And that's how the World Health Organization is going to, that's mm-hmm. what the World Health Organization is going to tell you what's going on. And then you also hear people uh, talk about disease being controlled. And that means, hey, 
folks, we're working on it. We got ongoing operations going here. We've got interventions planned. We're trying to reduce the number of new cases and the existing cases in a population. Right. So the battle is underway and going well, basically, when it's when it's controlled. And there's 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 also this kind of holy grail status, and that's extinction. And no infectious organisms have been declared uh, extinct. And so this would be um, when an infectious agent is no longer in the wild or in the lab. Yeah. You'd have to, uh, in, in really for, for that to take place, I think a lot of times you'd have to be talking about co-extinction. Like you'd have to, um, you, you would, it would not just be a matter of eliminating like this particular flu, but everything the flu lives in, you know? It's just, it's we'll ha- get to that. That habita- is a very good yeah, point. It's habitat and food is just, it's just too much. It's right. Right. And that is, that's definitely factors into the mm-hmm. picture of ultimately why we can't eradicate the influenza virus. So another more broadly applicable one is that populations can be really tricky to reach, right? You get a war torn region thrown in there. You get poverty. You get location, you know, somewhere who's living in a, someone who's living in a particularly remote place. Yeah. There's like poor infrastructure, poor communication, uh, like in many places, just outright chaos. You know, and it's just not going to be very high on the, uh, um, you know, on the list of things to do. Right. And then in industrialized countries, you definitely have these concerns about the side effects of vaccine surfacing. So aside from that, you really can't make people be vaccinated. So people are going to opt out. And it's I mean, to have a disease eradicated, it is this major public health victory. Mm hmm. And it just can't happen without, you know, a crazy organizational feat. Yeah. Like even if you did like a huge, uh, you know, expansive, um, you know, um, vaccine effort, you know, uh, for something, it's like you're like the one they did for smallpox. Right. You're still, uh, you know, run the risk of getting, uh, you know, people at, at the top and the bottom who disagree with it and, and uh, you know, some resulting chaos. There was actually uh, back when I was researching the uh, bioweapons article for HowStuffWorks.com that I wrote. Right. Uh, I ran across this. I, I don't know that it was ever actually implemented, but there was a scheme. To uh, cr- to create a like a bioweapon, a you know a, a tailored chimera virus that would be pretty like you you would get ill with it, but it wouldn't really become dangerous until it was treated with uh, a vaccine. Oh, interesting. So you'd have people that would say, "Oh, I feel sick," and then they'd go to their. So it's like the Easter egg inside the. Right. Yeah, but see, the thing is, they would go to their doctors, they'd go to their 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 government, whatever, and they would and they would get uh, get shot with something. And then they would get worse, which would just totally like screw up, uh, you know, trust and uh, and just lead to more like civil unrest is a pretty evil, uh, ingenious scheme. Only a human could come up with it. Yeah. But no case, no known cases of that occurring on their own. No, 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 no. That's I think it was just purely in the in the uh, the ledgers of uh, of these uh, guys who were scheming uh, all these biochemical weapons up. So even if you have the perfect influenza vaccine, it's going to be really hard to vaccinate everyone who needs to be vaccinated. Yeah, you could so, vaccinate some of the people all the time or all the people some of the time, right? <laughs> I mean, consider this. I was reading a statistic that said in 2007, 20% of children don't receive the vaccines they're scheduled for. And that was according to a massive report, massive awesome report, I should say, that was uh, jointly published by uh, the World Health Organization, World Bank and UNICEF, yeah. that gave... Um, an update on the state of vaccinations and stuff going on. It was, it was a really good publication if you guys are at all interested in public health. Of course, the other thing about trying to eradicate a disease is it's pretty expensive. Yeah, so just to give you some statistics to illuminate that picture, that expensive picture, I came across some uh, numbers that said eradicating smallpox costs the U.S. $100 million, uh spread over 10 years. Wow. The flip side, however, is pretty good. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so... Uh, 
you're going to save, you're going to have some savings, uh, you know, in treating and preventing costs after, you know, you get rid of a disease. Mm-hmm. So some estimates put this at 1.3 billion a year. We are saving wow. 1.3 billion a year. So we've more than made our money back on that one. Yeah. Pretty good return on investment for eradication of smallpox. Awesome. And then the trickier territory, again, you know, you got to do some easy ones, the numbers, and then it, it just comes down to politicking, right? Yeah, and priority. Like, if you're going to wipe out one disease, like which one which one has the, the most uh, momentum? You know, which one has the most press? Which one is actually killing uh, the most killing people the in most your country? People? Yeah. If I'm a minister of health in a developing country, you know, I'm probably more liable to focus on something like AIDS or malaria or tuberculosis, the big three. You know, you have millions of people dying from these diseases every year. So I read one figure that factored in about uh, 4 million deaths per year uh, attributable to uh, either malaria, AIDS, or tuberculosis. And sometimes they co-occur, right? Yeah. So it's like flu, you know. Flu, yeah. I don't know if it's going to make the the, t- the number yeah, one I mean, spot. Flu, if, I mean, flu's rough. Flu's a killer. You know, we've, we've said it already. But, you know, compared to those three, it's not necessarily going to get the traction it needs. So... Really, we've talked about reasons so far that apply to a lot of widespread infectious disease. But let's talk about some more that are specific reasons uh, for why we can't eradicate influenza. And also for why it's a very successful organism, too. Yeah. Yeah. So mutation. Yeah, that's a big one. It's huge. It is so huge. You think that you've uh, you figured out it's it's a strategy and you have a counter strategy. It changes its strategy. It outmaneuvers you. It flanks you. Yeah, so humans are infected by two types of influenza virus, the uh, A's and the B's. And it sounds simple, but it's not really, especially when they're constantly undergoing change. And those means of change, uh, for one, are antigenic drift, right? So this is viruses evolve. They change. But it's happening all the time. Basically, they just start collecting genetic mutations. And they collect them at the critical site, the site where the antibodies that your immune system is sending out to fight the battle, they like to bind. And the mutation, of course, causes your immune system not to rec- recognize the antigen. Yeah, and this and, is this is why we get that flu shot at work every year, right? Yeah, and why that's why they talk about the flu shot being a little bit of a guessing game, because they're trying to figure out what strains are prevalent and what strains they need to uh, prepare for in the flu shot. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, again, it's like a, it's like a battle. It's on like, like, a, like on a battlefield, you know, between two armies. We, we make a move thinking the enemy's going to be here, but they're, maybe they're over here. We don't know exactly how it's going to work out. We just know we're not going to de- defeat them completely. So in both of those types of viruses that infect humans, the A and the B influenza viruses, antigenic drift happens in both kinds. Right? So that's bad news for us. Okay. Much worse, or it can be much worse, is antigenic shift. And this is like jaw-dropping change. This is an abrupt process. You know, you think drift is bad, you haven't seen shift. And this is what led to uh, H1N1 virus in 2009, the, the swine flu that we were talking about before. Yeah, it's like drift. It's like I might drift from like listening to, like say a person's listening to jazz. They might drift over into smooth jazz. It's like any But a shift <laughs> would be if, they, like, if they're like if listening to jazz and then suddenly they're listening to like drum and bass, you know? It's like a... To Slayer! Or the Slayer, yes. Megadeth. Pantera. I don't know why I just thought of Pantera. So this is a situation where like, like, like bird flu, where the big, you know, the big fear is, oh my goodness, it's a, it's a, the flu is in birds, but it's gonna, it could easily like cross over to humans who are in close proximity to these birds. The bottom line is that it leads to such a crazy new virus that we have no defenses against it. We have no mm-hmm. immunity. And this is bad news for us. And this, this one ties into when you start looking at the history 
of uh, of epidemics. You know, it's like it, a lot of it ties back to when humans started living together in large settlements because a all these people can spread diseases back and forth, but they're also generally living there with their animals, with their cows, with their sheep, with their dogs, with their cats. Um, they're they're having all the surplus of food that's being fed up on by by rats, by squirrels, by birds, etc. And uh, and and in any and you have in in the midst of this, you have all these different uh, viruses, and they can jump from. From rat to squirrel to human, you know, it's they're, they're, they keep taking that shift. Right, they can and they do jump. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so that's really the last point about why we're not going to win the battle against flu, or at least we're not going to win the eradication battle against influenza. Because uh, influenza has a vast reservoir in animals. Yeah. And one of the most critical criteria when it comes to a successful eradication is that humans are the only reservoir of disease. And it's not the case with influenza. So... Bear that in mind. Wash your hands a lot. Sneeze into the crook of your elbow. Any other uh, tips for our listeners? Oh, and of course, if you're sick, don't go to work. Yeah, don't go to work. And don't let your boss tell you to go to work if you're sick. Yeah, stay home in your pajamas. Yeah. Maybe watch a little daytime TV sprinkled in there. Yeah, do that too. <laughs> so, do we have any listener mail? We do. And we had a listener mail from Phoebe from Australia. So she's already dealt with this whole influenza thing. And by the way, listeners from Australia, thank you for dealing with this uh, this flu podcast because you guys have already, uh, you're past. Your season's past. Now the Northern Hemisphere is all in the mix with influenza. But. So anyway, here's Phoebe. Hi, Allison and Robert. I was so happy to listen to your podcast, letting everyone know that bacteria are so much more than the often touted sack of enzymes. Oh, very nice. Indeed they are. I spent my PhD studying bacterial cell division. And let me tell you that they are complicated little bugs. Did you know that we still don't understand exactly how they undergo the fundamental process of dividing? For rod-shaped bugs like E. coli... They have a, a protein, and she names the protein, uh, that forms a kind of belt at exactly the middle, which constricts and splits them in two. Huh. That sounds like kind of a tough way to replicate. Well, they're, they're rugged. They can handle it. Yeah, indeed they can. But how do they know where the middle is? Good point. And that's followed by three question marks. So there are a lot of outstanding <laughs> questions in the world of bacterial research. I made movies fluorescently tagging this protein and watching them divide to find that it forms a helix first and then a ring. So now the question is, how does the helix find the middle? As always in science, the answer raises more questions. And she gave us a link to some movies uh, if we wanted to see the division in action, which we'll post on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Love the show. Phoebe from Australia. Cool. Thanks, Phoebe. We like bacteria, too. And one final note for today. This is going to be my last podcast uh, for Stefford in the Science Lab. Oh, yeah, it's it's kind of a sad event. I mean, I've had a lot of fun talking science with you across the table for me for all these episodes. I think we're almost yeah, close to uh, 100 or so. 100, something like 111. It like came out kind of spooky like that. Yeah, but maybe one, you one, guys one. haven't heard all of them because, you know, we had some early learning curves here yeah. in the studio. And you're probably thankful that you haven't heard all of them. But So I was looking at some of my favorite topics. There are a lot of them. We've to, we've covered a lot of. We ground have covered in here. a lot. Two a week for uh, a while. I mean, do the math. 111, right? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about snipers. We've talked about sci-fi. I think that ranks as one of my all-time favorites, just because it was kind of a new uh, topic area. The for sci-fi me. one. Or yeah, the- yeah, it was it forced yeah. me to get into a lot of the literature, and I really liked it, and I've delved into it ever since. Yeah, that was that was a really fun one. You ended up reading uh, two Ender's out of the Game. three books. Yeah. Another one. Um, Neuromancer. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We still got to work on you with Dune, but I don't know. Dune, I will. Dune, I will read Dune, the space well, I don't know. Dune yeah, may yeah. not be the one for you. Regardless, I, I thank you guys for sitting down each week with us and you know talking science and listening science and writing in and telling your stories. Um, it's bittersweet. I, I will be sad to say goodbye, but I will be continuing on here, uh, talking science on the blogs and on Facebook and Twitter. So if you want to track me down and ask me about the laws of entropy, you know where to find me. Yeah, she is not sailing off into the sunset. And, uh, fear not the, uh, just as we're going to continue to discuss, uh, science on the, um, blogs and on Facebook and on Twitter, uh, the podcast is not going anywhere. It'll be back, uh, next week. And, uh, I'm going to find some mystery podcaster to come in here with me. Ooh. So keep tuning in and thanks guys for listening. Truly. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.